0: everybody. Um, My name is Reggie, if I don't know you. And um, this morning we're going to be taking a look at uh, the book of Jude. Over the past few weeks here at Redemption, we have been uh, moving through um, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. But this morning we're taking a a, a break um, just for today to, um, to examine some things that hopefully God has to say to us through the book of Jude, And when you think about the book of Jude, I I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but the book of Jude, in a very real sense, is a call to act. It's a call to contend. It's a call, in in essence, to struggle. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And, And when I think about times in my life that I have had to struggle, that I've had to fight, not necessarily face to fist, fighting but nonetheless to to contend to struggle I'm reminded of a humorous story from when I was a teenager that I'll share with you and um, some of you may have heard this story before maybe not but I grew up in a little town outside of Augusta called Modoc does anybody know where Modoc is it's on the lake it's a small little town and in Modoc There's one church, it's Modoc Baptist Church, and it's the church that I went to as a child and as a teenager, and um, at Modoc Baptist Church, there used to be this giant pecan tree right in front of the church, and the church was right off the highway, and back behind the church was this guy who owned a lot of property, um, big pasture back behind the church, and there was a giant goat that lived in the pasture. You see where this is going, right? There was a giant goat that lived in this pasture. And one Sunday morning when I was 16, I showed up to church. And I was driving an old Chevy truck. And just so you understand, this is the period of my life when I wanted to be a cowboy. Has anybody been there? It's kind of late. I know 16 is kind of late to want to be a cowboy, but that's when I hit that stage of my life. And so I showed up to, to church that Sunday morning and I had my cowboy boots on. Um, which is, was awesome, and it just so happens that in the back of my truck I had a rope. And so I pull up to church, and um, there's only a few cars in the parking lot, and in front of me I see the giant goat. And on one side of the tree is this lady, and on the other side of the tree is the giant goat, and they're chasing each other around the tree. You know, you know what I'm talking about? They're going around the tree, and there's actually one lady. I'm not making this up. There's actually one lady who got down on the ground and got under her car, to get away from the goat and so i show up and i have my cowboy boots on and i have a rope in the truck and i think to myself i can do this i'm gonna lasso this goat and drag him back up the hill and so began the intense struggle between the goat and myself and so i got the rope out of my truck and made a lasso even though i didn't know how to make a lasso and I walked up to the goat, and the goat was looking at me. And I don't know if you've ever seen a dog or an animal do this. It just kind of turned its head and looked at me like, what, what do you think you're doing? And so I take the rope where I've made you know, a lasso, and I throw it at the goat. Never lassoed anything in my life. Throw it at the goat, and the knot just sort of hits the goat in the head. And at that point, you know, I hadn't thought this thing all the way through, right? And so at that point, the goat rears up on its back legs, does his front legs like this, and it lunges at me. And so begins the Scooby-Doo-esque chase, right? I'm running around the church, running around um, headstones in the cemetery, just running around shrubbery, trying to get away from this goat. And, um, and I'm going to lose this battle. And suddenly I look over and I see somebody had opened the door to the fellowship hall, and they were yelling at me to run into the fellowship hall. So I run as fast as I can into the fellowship hall of the church. They closed the door and the goat's still out there and it was quite humorous. And so the way it ended was I ended up running across the church parking lot away from the goat one more time, going into the office of the church and calling the house of the person who owned the goat and said, hey, you've got to come get this goat because it's down here in the parking lot. It's been chasing me around, blah, blah, blah. So the guy sends his son down who is my same age and um. His son, the guy's name was Ben. And so Ben comes walking down the hill and he just sort of walks up to the goat. I I, I promise you, I'm not making this up. He walks up to the goat and the goat rears up on its back legs again and Ben grabs the goat by its horn, turns its head sideways and uppercuts the goat as hard as he can, hits him as hard as he can and turns around and drags the goat back up the hill and puts him in the pasture. And so I lost that struggle and the goat won. But ultimately, Ben won the struggle on my behalf. The book of Jude is a call to contend. It's a call to struggle. It's a call to fight. So just a second, we're going to read through some passages, some scripture verses in the book of Jude and, um, and talk about them. But before we do, let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity we have to be together this morning to spend a little bit of time being together Singing songs to you and worshiping in that way, praying together, hearing your word proclaimed together, just being together around the name of Jesus. God, over the next few minutes, as we examine some passages from your word from the book of Jude, I pray that you would work in our hearts and minds to help us to clearly hear and see what it is that the Holy Spirit would speak to us this morning. God, I recognize that as I stand here and stand on this stage and talk that my words are of little importance, God, but Your words are of utmost importance. So God, I pray that You would use me as an instrument of Your grace and mercy and love, God, that Jesus might be raised high, that Jesus might be lifted high, that people might be drawn to You, God. I pray that You would move me out of the way, that Jesus would be glorified, that Your Holy Spirit would be at work, that we would hear from You, got to ask all this in the precious name of your son Jesus. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, Jude, we're going to look at the first 4 verses and then the last several verses of this book. Um if you have your Bibles and want to go ahead and turn there, I'll also be on the screen, but I'll read these this passage for you beginning in Jude chapter 1 through verse 4. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called Beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed too long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality, Deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. And then skipping over to verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Jude is perhaps one of the most neglected books in all of the New Testament. And just before I go any further, let me say very quickly that if you're here and you don't believe that the Bible is God's Word, that it is authoritative for all of life, I want you to understand that that is the assumption that I have, that the Bible is God's Word and that God speaks through His Word. And that's part of the doctrinal underpinning of our church and And you don't have to agree with me on that if you don't want, but I want you to understand that's the assumption I have moving forward. So I would not say that Jude is the most neglected book in all of Scripture. I believe that probably belongs to some book like Nahum or Obadiah from the Old Testament. But I do believe that Jude is one of the most neglected books in the New Testament, and maybe there are different reasons for that. It's short, and there are some very difficult passages in Jude, or very difficult verses in Jude that I didn't read that talk about some very mysterious things that are unclear. And even though it's neglected, and even though we don't preach through it often, it's perhaps one of my most favorite books in all of Scripture. On my refrigerator at home, I have some of these verses uh, that have been taped on my refrigerator or, or behind a magnet on my refrigerator for several years as a reminder of why we started a church and are part of a church. But... Since Jude is so neglected, let me give you a brief background. The writer of Jude is a guy named, you guessed it, Jude. Jude is the brother of James, and he's the half-brother of Jesus. And when Jude wrote this book, he had probably come to a point of prominence in the church at Jerusalem, um, sometime following Jesus' death. And the book of Jude is closely related to 2 Peter. 2 Peter is a book that warns that false teachers and prophets are coming, and Jude is a book that says the false teachers and prophets are here, and this is what they're doing, and this is your response to contend for the faith. And like most epistles or letters in the New Testament, Jude was writing with a specific purpose. And the purpose he tells us what that purpose is in verse number 3 when he tells us to contend for the faith. He, he wanted to write about our common salvation, but he says, I found it necessary to write to you about contending for the faith. So, Jude makes his purpose clear that he 's writing to contend for the faith, because the gospel, the faith that was um, that was being preached and had been handed down was being perverted for some reason, and Jude is very clear that in some ways it was being perverted to the point of allowing sexual immorality to exist in the church, and so Jude writes to contend and just as a few points of interest about the book of Jude before we go further. Like I said, Jude talks about some very mysterious things and he quotes some extra-biblical resources, uh, extra-biblical passages. And I'm not going to deal with that this morning. I don't have time. But it's obvious if you read through the whole book of Jude that it's there. And Jude is confronting an early type of a, a apostasy that fostered immorality in the church and as much as it perverted the gospel. And like I said, Jude deals with some very difficult Topics, but in the same way, like the writer of Hebrews, Jude cites masterfully the Old Testament. One interesting thing about Jude, if you read through it, is that he's fond of grouping things together in threes. You see it right from the beginning when he says that you are called, beloved, and kept, and that you have mercy, peace, and love in Christ. What does Jude emphasize through his book? Well, he emphasizes sound doctrine. He encourages believers to contend for the once-for-all faith and that's the way that verse is literally translated the once for all faith to warn of the danger of false teaching to instruct believers on how to live in the midst of dangerous times to assure believers of their eternal security in in christ and perhaps verses 24 and 25 are the most beautiful verses in all of scripture um in my opinion as 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 jude writes about how we're kept and protected in jesus So with all of that as our foundation, how are we going to look at the book of Jude this morning? And this is how I'm going to break it down. It's a short 25 verses in the book of Jude. You could probably preach several messages, though, off of this one book. We're going to take a bigger overview of it, and this is the way I want you to look at the book of Jude this morning. In the book of Jude, Jude makes several indicative statements, and then he makes several imperative statements. Now an indicative statement is a statement of fact, it's a statement of reality. This is true. And the imperative statements are this is what you do because this over here is true. And I think that's part of how Jude or that's part of what Jude intended. So that's how we're going to break this book down. And Jude this letter begins and ends with things that are true and real for believers, for followers of Jesus Christ, and sandwiched in between those indicative statements of truth and reality is a call to action. Things for us to do because of things that are real and true. Because God accomplished something on our behalf when Jesus died on the cross, Jude instructs these believers to act. To act not in order to achieve salvation or to achieve some standing with God, but because they already had a right standing with God, Jude tells them to do things. To act because of the standing with God that Jesus had achieved on their behalf. So that's what Jude does in this letter. And this is intuitive, right? If, if I were to give you a $50 gift card to your favorite restaurant, whatever it is, Frog Hollow Tavern, or Nacho Mama's, or Outback, or whatever, you're going to take that gift card and you're going to act on it, right? You're going to go and you're going to eat. At least that's what I would do. and. It makes sense, right? And that's what Jude does here. Because God has done this, because you have this standing with God, then go and act and contend. You with me? Everybody with me? We good? Okay. Don't look angry. Look with me again at verses number 1 and 2. Let's read them together. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. In verses 1 and 2 here, Jude tells us who we are in Christ and what we have in Christ. Jude calls himself a servant of Christ. Uh, a, a slave is another translation of the word that he uses there. He doesn't call himself a brother of Christ, even though they shared the same mother. He calls himself a servant of Christ. Why? Was it because he was just humble? Or maybe Jude recognized something. Maybe he recognized that he belonged to Christ as a result of Christ's redeeming work on the cross. Maybe. 1 Corinthians 6.20 tells us that we were bought with a price. And 1 Peter 1.19 reminds us that that price was the precious blood of Christ. We're not our own. We belong to Jesus. And so right off the bat, in Jude, Jude reminds these readers here that he belongs to Christ because Christ redeemed him. Do you have anything that you own that is precious to you? Not not something silly, but something that is absolutely valuable. Something you've worked incredibly hard to obtain, you saved for. Maybe you have a treasure of some sort that's been passed down to you from family members. Whatever it might be, do you... Do you have something that you would absolutely die to keep because you own it? As I think about what I own and what my possessions are, there aren't a whole lot of things. As a matter of fact, I can't think of any possession I own that I would die to keep. But I can think of people that I would die for. I can think of my wife and kids that I would absolutely give all that I have in exchange for. And that's essentially what Jesus did. Jesus gave his all to redeem us that we might become His, His own treasure. And so Jude starts the book by reminding these writers right away, I am a servant of Jesus. I belong to Him because He redeemed me. And he goes on and he, gives, he makes a, a, a few more indicative statements here that, that, I, that we're going to talk through. But right off the bat as well, not only does he say that he belongs to Christ, that he is a servant of Christ, he says that the believers are called to be God's own. Jesus called them to be His. Have you ever been called to do something? Have you ever been called to be offered a job? Have you ever been called to go on a date? It feels good to be pursued, not in the sense of being chased, like being chased by a goat, but it feels good to be wanted, right? For somebody to want you to come work for them, to somebody uh, to want to go on a date with you, whatever it may be. It feels good to be called. It's nice to know. And that's essentially what Jesus does. He calls us to be His own. And so when Jude writes this letter, he says, I belong to Jesus because Jesus redeemed me. And all of us, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called by God to be God's own. In John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus reminds us that no one is drawn to Him unless the Father draws that person to Jesus. We're not followers of Jesus by chance. Jesus didn't die on the cross merely to create the potential for us to be his followers. He died on the cross that we might actually become his followers, that God might call us to him. The reason you're a believer, if you are, is because God called you to be his own. Not because you're special, not because you bring something to the table that God needs from you, but because God wanted you to be his follower, if in fact you are. Apart from Christ, we're all just sinners and there's nothing that we bring to the table. And yet God calls us to be His own for His glory, for our joy. And so Jude, right off the bat, reminds the people that are reading his letter that he is a servant to Jesus Christ, that he's been redeemed and bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ. And he reminds these people that they are called by Jesus to be God's own. And he goes on. And he says, not only are you called, right here in verse 1, he says, beloved in God the Father. Because of the work of Jesus, you are loved by God the Father. That's an indicative reality of a believer. It's reality, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that God redeemed you at a cost. It's reality that God called you to be His own. It's reality that God loves you. Beloved in God the Father. Our culture and our society is is, uh, is is a little messed up. We live in a culture and a society that really has father issues, that really has daddy issues. We have broken home after broken home after broken home in our culture and our society. We have fathers even within the church that don't understand what God has called them to do and how to love and raise their kids. And if you look around, even in, in our society in media and TV and culture, you see this, need for father figures that constantly show up. I don't know if you've seen the movie 310 to Yuma that came out a few years ago. It had Russell Crowe in it and a few other people. And if you go and you watch the movie, every male character in the movie is looking for a hero. They're looking for a father figure, somebody to follow. And it shows up all over the place. And yet your reality as a believer is not that. Your reality as a believer that you are loved by God the Father. So Jude reminds these people that you are redeemed by God. You are loved by God. You are called by God. And he tells them that they are kept for Jesus Christ. Do you have anything in your life that you set aside and that you're keeping for a special occasion? Whatever it may be. If you enjoy wine, maybe you have a special bottle set aside to use for a special occasion. Or or maybe you have some special... Heirloom that you intend on passing down to your children one day, whatever it is. It's something that you set aside that's precious. It's your treasure and yet one day you're going to pass it down and give it to somebody else. You've set it aside for a purpose. And that's essentially what Jude says here. If, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are kept and protected by Jesus. You belong to Christ. You are His treasure Your present reality, your present truth is that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then Jesus is keeping you as His treasure. It doesn't mean that life won't be tough. It doesn't mean that we won't struggle. Look at Job in the Old Testament. But it does mean that God has set you aside for His purposes. And verse 24, which we read a minute ago, reminds us that God will keep you. Not only, it's an ongoing thing that God will keep you as His own. He will keep you till the end. It's a beautiful picture of eternal security. So right off the bat in this book, Jude reminds people of this present reality, of these indicative statements. You belong to Christ because God redeemed you. God called you. God loved you. God is keeping you. And because of all those things, he reminds them in verse 2 that they have access to all of God's mercy, peace, and love because of what Christ has done. Who, who doesn't want those things, right? Who doesn't want mercy, peace, and love? And so, like I said, Jude lays out some indicative statements and some imperative statements. And these first two verses are incredibly packed with things that are true and real if we're followers of Jesus Christ, that God loves us, that God keeps us, that God called us, that we belong to Christ, that we have these incredible treasures in Jesus because of what Jesus has done. And then Jude moves on for there and he says, act, right? These things are true, now act. And he gives, I think, very, four very clear imperative statements, four very clear commands, four four very clear calls to action in the book of Jude. He starts with these things that are true, and he says, now act. In verse number three and four, let's read them again. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints For certain people have crept in unnoticed too long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. And so in Jude's context, in the church, the congregation that Jude is writing to, this had occurred. There were people who had come in and perverted the Gospel for their own means. And so Jude caused them to contend for the faith my five-year-old started playing soccer this week. She's been to two practices, and it's hilarious to watch these little kids um, practice soccer. And I look forward to the day when she plays her first soccer game. I don't really know when that's going to be yet. I don't know what the schedule is. But all I can see in my head is 20 kids on the field all trying to kick the soccer ball at the same time. Right? That's what, I think that's what's going to happen in a little kid's soccer game. Just 20 kids around the ball all kicking it as hard as they can. They're contending. They're... Fighting for that soccer ball. Jude was eager to write to this this group of people about their common salvation. He actually desired to write a very different kind of letter and he, he tells them that. I didn't want to write about what I'm writing about. But the necessity was laid on him by the work of the Holy Spirit to write something different, a, a defense for the faith for the faith, an exhortation and encouragement, urging them to contend for the faith that came down. For Jesus. The word contend here is used in an athletic context, like those 20 kids kicking a soccer ball or a military context. It means to fight. It means to struggle with intense effort. And so Jude calls on them to strive after and fight for the faith. And it's, I have no doubt that the faith that Jude had in mind is the gospel of Jesus Christ in the sense that all that derives from Jesus and His person and His work. Jude understood the faith to not only be theological, but to also be moral in the sense that what you believe on a theological standpoint is going to lead to action. And the actions that resulted from the beliefs of these people that had infiltrated this congregation revolved around immorality. Immorality. The gospel was being perverted and distorted so the desires of their flesh could be fulfilled. It was egregious. And I don't think that reality is present in our current context, but it's present in our society. There are people who pervert the gospel all over the place. The the prosperity gospel. The gospel that often happens and is preached in churches all across the Bible Belt where if you come on Sunday morning and you're good, and you do these things. Well, then you're okay. And where the gospel is perverted for any reason, whatever, it is right to fight for the once-for-all faith. Jude is not calling these people to, to 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 quarrel about silly things, not to be concerned about fighting about the color of carpet and second and third order things that don't matter. I, I was in a church meeting once where the argument broke out about church carpet color. You may have been there yourself. That's what, not what Jude is calling these people to fight for. He's, he's, he's calling them to fight for the gospel, to fight for the faith where it has been perverted and where that perversion leads people to immorality and ultimately has the potential to lead people to hell if they don't know what Jesus has really done for them. It's the call to fight for the purity of the gospel. It's the fight to be on mission with the gospel, with the truth. We'll get to it in a minute, but that's what verse 20 and following is all about. It's, it's about being on mission so that people might come to have faith in Jesus because of the gospel. So, so right off the bat, the, uh, one of Jude's first imperative statements to these people is to contend for the faith. Because you're called. Because you're loved. Because you're kept. Because Jesus has redeemed you. Because you have all these things in Christ. Fight for the faith. And secondly, moving down to verse number 17. And let me just say that from verse 5 through verse 16, Jude really goes into an examination of what, it, what these false teachers are like and what they're doing and what's going to happen to them. And, it's, and, and like I said, he calls on Old Testament... Um, stories and some extra biblical stories and these other things and, and that's what happens. And then we get to verse seventeen and and um and Jude gives us another imperative statement. Let me read verse seventeen for you. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here Jude is referring to books like Second Peter where the coming of false teachers was was foretold. And he reminds them that they knew this was coming. But I don't think it's just a reminder. I think it's a, look, you knew this was coming. You should have been looking for it. Be vigilant. Be on guard. They're here. It's time to act. It's a call to vigilance in a sense. It's a, it's a call to remember what has been passed down and to act on it. When I thought about this passage the other day, I couldn't help but think about the movie, um, the Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. I don't know if you're a fan of these, this, this, um, this series of movies or even the books, but at the end of The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, Aragorn is fighting at Helm's Deep and all appears to be lost. It all appears that everything is going to be lost. They're going to be defeated. And he begins to remember what Gandalf had told him just a few days before. At dawn, is it the third day or the fifth day? The third day. At dawn on the third day, look for me. Right? In the moment when all appears lost, Aragorn remembers, look for me at dawn on the third day. And it bolsters what's going on. And eventually Gandalf shows up and and, and all is not lost. That's what Jude is doing here. Remember that we told you this is going to happen. Be vigilant. Be on guard. Be active for the faith. Be active for the gospel. We told you this was coming. It's here. Look for it. Be ready. So Jude calls them to action in verse 3, to contend in verse 17. He reminds them that you knew this was coming. Be vigilant. Verse 21, he goes on. Verse 20, let's, let's start with there. Verse 20, Jude says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. That's the third statement that Jude gives us. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. And he modifies that statement by saying, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, waiting on the mercy of our Lord. Right? It's three participles that all modify the statement Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, we already know from verse number one that Jude says, you are kept by Jesus. And in verse 24, Jude says that to Jesus, he was able to keep you from stumbling. We already know that Jesus has done the work. And yet here, Jude calls us to keep ourselves in the love of God. It's an imperative statement. And, and that imperative statement, that command could only be achieved and it's only possible because of the sovereign grace that Jesus has already offered in verse 1 and that we're promised of in verse 24. Jude calls us not only to contend for the Gospel, not only to remember the Gospel, but to contend for one another's hearts as we jointly keep ourselves in the love of God. It's a plural statement here. Jude isn't saying you keep yourself in the love of God. He's saying you keep yourselves in the love of God. It's something that's done together, not something we do alone. And he tells us to keep ourselves in the love of God by building ourselves up in our most holy faith, by praying, by waiting. Well, How do we build ourselves together in our holy faith? Well, we're, we're doing it this morning. We're together remembering, recalling, talking about things that are true. We're remembering indicative statements like Jude says that you are called and loved and kept and bought with a price and you have mercy and love and peace. In a sense, it's preaching these things to yourself. It's preaching them to one another. It's getting together in missional communities and DNA groups and friendships and over lunch and watching football games and remembering what is true that Jesus has called and kept and loved us. That He's bought us with a price. That's how we build ourselves up in our most holy faith. Together. We do it together by remembering the things that are real and true. It's not enough to just hear the gospel once and have that be enough to carry you for the rest of your life. Yes, you can hear the gospel once. And yes, you can be changed. And yes, you can become a believer. And God will draw you to Himself. But the gospel not only saves us, the gospel sustains us until the very end. Because there is no way to compete with our heart's selfish desires and the temptations of the world other to overwhelm those things with the truth of the gospel. You see, if we merely listen to our hearts, we'll be miserable because we will be pursuing things that grant no satisfaction at all. But if we speak the truth of the gospel to our hearts regularly together as a body of faith, as families, as individuals, then the gospel will overwhelm our hearts so that we'll pursue that which brings satisfaction. Namely, Jesus. Do I need to repeat that? because I'm going to. There is no way to compete with our heart's selfish desires and the temptations of the world other than to overwhelm those things with the truth of the gospel. We merely listen to our hearts will be miserable because we will be pursuing things that grant no satisfaction. But if we speak the truth of the gospel to our hearts regularly as a body of faith, as families, as individuals, then the gospel will overwhelm our hearts so that we'll pursue that which brings satisfaction, namely Jesus. It's not just listening because when we listen to ourselves, we hear things like, you're a failure. I can't believe you messed up again. I can't believe you've got yourself right back in the situation. You're so stupid. But when we speak the gospel to ourselves, we hear, God loves me. God has set me aside for His own treasure. God is keeping me. I am loved by God. Not because of anything I've done, because look, I just screwed up. But God is keeping me and He's loving me. And I am His own. I am His treasure. Unhappiness and dissatisfaction and a longing for purpose that is never fulfilled. These things come from listening to ourselves rather than speaking the Gospel to ourselves, to one another. The Gospel is not something that was ever intended to be passive. The Gospel is active. It's something we proclaim. It's something we remind ourselves of And when I speak of the Gospel, I don't mean merely the way that someone becomes a believer. I mean all that is true about Jesus and what He's done for us and what He continues to do for us. The psalmist knew this all too well in Psalm chapter 42, what it means to speak the Gospel to yourself. Listen to what he says just in verse 5. Psalm 42 verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. We build ourselves up by speaking the Gospel to ourselves together. Building ourselves up in our most holy faith. Jude goes on in this passage. He also says, praying In the Holy Spirit, Jude reminds us that we keep ourselves in the love of God by building ourselves up by praying in the Holy Spirit. This really needs no explanation in the sense that prayer is a means of communication with God. It's the means by which we develop a relationship with God. It's a way that we abide with God. We carry on a conversation with God. We pursue God's heart by building a relationship with Him. And yet it's the hardest thing for most of us to do to live lives of prayer, characterized by prayer. It's hard for me. And yet Jude here says, keep yourselves in the love of God by praying. It's simple. And yet Jude calls us to do it. Jude also calls us to keep ourselves in the love of God by waiting. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. I don't know about you, and my wife will back me up on this, but I hate to wait for anything. And I guarantee you that if I go to the grocery store, I'm going to stand in line and wait longer than anybody else that's in the grocery store at the same time. And if you want to learn patience, then come with me to the grocery store and get in the line behind me because you'll be waiting there longer than anybody else. I hate to wait at red lights. I have calculated how many seconds and minutes I've spent at red lights wasting my time sitting there. I hate waiting. In fact, if I come to a roadblock If I come to road construction, I will go out of my way to add time and distance to my trip in order to avoid waiting. I hate it. Several weeks ago, Jeremy and Jason and Ben and I went to a conference in Birmingham. And we drove down I-20 and we drove over on a Monday and drove back on a Tuesday night. And as we're driving to Birmingham on Monday, I'm looking at the other side of the road and there's road construction going on and I'm seeing these cars that are backed up for miles that are waiting because of the road construction that's happening on the other side of the road, and the guys will back me up, I immediately start plotting, how am I going to avoid that on the drive back tomorrow? It's a full 24 hours away, right? Longer than that. And I'm sitting there going, how am I going to avoid that road construction on the way home tomorrow? And so I went and pulled out Google Maps and trying to figure out. And we ended up going off the interstate and going on a big loop and getting back on the interstate Also, that I didn't have to wait. Who knows how long... Who knows whether we would have even had to wait on the interstate. I'm guessing we would have. At least that's what I'm going with in my mind. To justify going around to get back on the interstate. I hate waiting. And yet Jude here says, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. God isn't asking us to wait for something trivial. He's asking us to wait for His mercy that leads to eternal life. It's like this. If I tell my kids, if I get them out of nursery in just a few minutes and say, hey, tonight we're going to Brewster's to get ice cream, the anticipation for the rest of the day will sustain them because at some point, hours from now, they'll get to taste the ice cream. It's the anticipation for something amazing that's coming. And it's just chocolate ice cream. That anticipation is enough to sustain them as they wait. It it will even make them giddy. And Jude calls us to wait for the mercy of God. How much greater is the promise of what God offers than chocolate ice cream? Finally, in verses 22 and 23, Jude calls us to have mercy. So in this passages, in, this, in, in these verses that we've looked at this morning, Jude has said that you are he said that he's a servant of Jesus Christ, that he's been redeemed by God. He's told the people that he's writing to that they are kept, loved and called by God, that they have access to mercy and love, all these things. And he goes on, he says, contend for the faith, remember what they told you, keep yourselves in the love of God. And his final statement is this, in verses, we're going to start at verse 22, have mercy on those who doubt, save others by snatching them out of the fire, to others show mercy with fear, hating you in the garment stained by the flesh. Jude tells us to have mercy on those who doubt, to snatch some from the fire, to save others in the middle of their sin. Jude is calling those who have had mercy multiplied to them in Christ and have received that mercy in its fullness to extend that same mercy to those who doubt, who waver, who struggle with the truth of the gospel and scripture because of the influence of false teaching and sin. Jude is calling us to not ignore or ridicule or harass, but to have mercy on those who doubt. With compassion and conviction, with kindness and, firm and firmness, with mercy and concern, we encourage them in the truth, patiently pointing them to Jesus and His all-sufficiency. Jude lists a second group here who are, even, who are in an even more serious and precarious situation. So close are they to the fire's of hell and eternal judgment that Jude says snatch them out of the fire. It's a sense of urgency that Jude communicates here. He sounds the alarm. It's almost too late, but act on their behalf. Snatch them from the fire. And the third group that Jude lists here is in an even more desperate condition because they've bought into the lies of false teaching. Their lives are corrupted and how they think and live, they're defiled and depraved. They're a danger to themselves, they're a danger to reason, to people around them. And Jude sounds a wise warning of show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. But he still says have mercy. He still says act on their behalf. The call is to action. The call is to contend for their hearts. He doesn't tell us how. He doesn't say this is how you snatch them from the fire. He doesn't say this is how you, how you have mercy on those who doubt. He doesn't say this is how you deal with people in the midst of their sin. But He tells us to do it. And it's going to be difficult. And when you start dealing with people in the midst of their sin, it gets really dirty and ugly sometimes. And yet that's what God calls People who read this book to do. He calls them to action. Jude reminded the people that God is keeping them, that God loves them, that God has called him. Jude reminds them of all that they have in Christ. And then he tells them, Contend for the faith. Remember, we told you this was coming. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Have mercy on those who doubt. We can't look at the book of Jude without understanding that the book of Jude is a call to act. It's a, content, it's a call to contend not only for the Gospel, it's a, it's a call to contend for the hearts and lives of men and women who would otherwise die and spend an eternity in hell. Jude affirms our present and future standing with Jesus That we have been redeemed and called and loved and kept. And because of what Christ has done, He calls us together mutually as a body of faith to action. The call of Jude is the call to struggle. The call to contend for the faith. The call of Jude is the call against complacency and the call to vigilance as we remember what we have been told. Look for me at dawn on the third day. The call of Jude is to keep ourselves in the love of God inasmuch as Jesus already has us protected. It's a call to daily wrestle with the Gospel, to pray, to wait, to speak truth to ourselves together. The call of Jude is a call to fight for the hearts of our brothers and sisters. Jude closes his book by saying, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. We walk away from this place and we don't understand that because of what Christ has done, because of who we are in Christ, there's a call on our life to act. And we miss the point of Jude. Let's pray. God, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your Savior, our Savior, Jesus Christ, whom You sent to die on a cross that we might be rightly related to You. Thank You for the reminder in the book of Jude of our standing with You that we are kept and loved and called because of the work of Christ. But God, thank you for the reminder that because of what you've done for us, you've called us to contend, to remember, to keep ourselves in your love, to fight for one another. God, I pray even now as we begin to close our times together, to close our time together, that you would continue to weave these truths into our hearts and minds that. This wouldn't merely be something that we heard, but God, it would become real to us. It would become a part of who we are. God, we thank You that Your Word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And God, even now, we pray that You would pierce our hearts and minds with Your Word. God, thank You for Your Son, Jesus. God, we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.